One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at CAMH. .ca/canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Happy Easter. Today's episode is about dead bunnies. It comes to us from Andrew Hines and Amanda Watland. A longer version of this story was originally produced for our friends at CFUV in Victoria. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Ashleen Goodman, Austin Davidson, Matthew Duke, Brett Johnson, Amy Fuller, Maddie Marshall, Lisa Ferris, and Marina. I'm Marina from Bars Corner, Nova Scotia, where I own and operate a vegetable farm. I support Candleland because I value high-quality journalism and the critical lens the team uses on every platform of production. When stacking wood, washing greens, seeding, or transplanting, I love being brought up to speed on current events and engaging content that challenges or changes my perspective. Please continue to shine light on shit so we can close the gaps in our vast, problem-ridden country. Now, if you're familiar with the campus at the University of Victoria, there is a good chance one image hops to mind. Considered pests to some, but to others, they're part of the landscape. They're even looking at the idea of a cull. Oh, they don't bother me. And it's kind of like a UVic thing. You know, to get rid of them, it would be like, why? And after a project aimed at reducing the population flopped, the university is now looking at other options to control the population of bunnies. I'm trying not to say everybody was a little bit nuts, but everybody was a little bit nuts. It was disgusting all the way through. She was begging them to let the baby go. In the 80s, in Victoria, people started coming to campus and just abandoning their pet rabbits. So, like, these are big, like, fluffy 
bunnies. They're different colors. Some of them are spotted. Some of them are black. Some of them are white. Some of them are both. And this just kind of continued for the next, like, 30 years. Was there a specific, like, species of su- or subspecies of rabbit? Or do we know what this is? It's just, like, the, the domesticated there, rabbit? I think it's, like... A European rabbit. It is like okay. an invasive species. Like everything in Victoria. I remember I had one professor who said how they all started out primarily white, but mm-hmm. then due to some serious natural selection Darwinism, um, the owls could easily pick out all the white ones at night because they were much like against the grass and in, in the dark. And then they slowly turned into like more browns and grays and spottedness. That's so interesting. The white hair. Yeah. I think over maybe 30 years got bred out a little bit more. Just this whole time, people just keep bringing their rabbits to campus. And then eventually, the university kind of starts to take notice. Because (laughs) while the rabbits were cute and stuff, they started just burrowing like rabbits do, digging holes. And then they started burrowing under certain university buildings, like huge tunnels. And then on top of that, on top of... They're also eating all the plants because they like leafy greens. And you think has a very luscious campus. Mm. So whereas groundkeepers might not have had to cut the grass as often, like they were also destroying like the native plant life. And so you think kind of draws the line. And this is in 2006. At this point, they think the rabbit population is around 1,000. Mm. But there's no way to know for sure, right? They're just like doing guess based on areas and then multiplying that based on how big the university campus is. And then 2007 comes along, and UVic announces that they're forming a rabbit task force. Oh, boy. (laughs) And the task force is to deal with the complaints that they're getting from the neighbors. So, like, the Mount Tolmy area, people are, like, waking up in the morning, and they're just seeing rabbits, like, in their backyard and in their gardens and just, like, eating everything. So now it's, like, more than just a university problem. Now it's, like, spreading out, and people are, like, getting really fed up. They're, like... Yes, they're cute, but like they're also destroying our way of life. So that's in September of 2007. In March 2008, this is the first rabbit controversy. Oh, boy. So there's a, a newsletter that gets published every month called Essence, mm. and it's from the Environmental Students Association. And a master's student by the name of Abe Lloyd publishes a little essay called cook up a pot of rabbit restoration stew. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, my God. And the essay basically describes how to trap and kill a rabbit with your own hands on campus. And it describes how you're supposed to kill the rabbit. And it says, whack the back of its head hard against the ground, killing it instantly. And the essay kind of sparks outrage. And by kind of, I mean a lot. Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) So there's this journalist from the Times Colonist. Her name is Judith Lavoie. Uh, I'm Judith Lavoie. I'm now a freelance reporter. I retired from the Times Colonist years ago. And when the rabbit controversy came up at the university, I was the environment reporter. And so it was decided that definitely rabbits were environment somehow. And so she publishes an article about it. And in the article, she's not really saying that she agrees with this. She's just stating the facts like a journalist does. Like, this is what happened. This is who said it. Oh, okay. So she's just responding to it. Yeah. She's just reporting it. (laughs) And the essay is, like, trying to take this angle where it's okay to, like, 
kill these rabbits because there's so many of them and they're causing so much problems. So like, why not benefit from like their declining numbers? You get an awesome meal out of it and you help the university. Yeah, but the people mostly don't want to see how the uh, sausage is made or how the the rabbit is killed. Yeah, like people start responding to the newspaper article and they just fill like the letters to the editor page. A lot of them had to be weeded out because a lot of them were calling us names or calling the university things. Really, it was, as I say, so inflamed that you couldn't run most of them, but it certainly kept the letters to the editor page going for a long time. People are like very, very angry that Judith has published the story. Everyone's like, how dare you? Yes, the reaction to that was, you know, well, it was disgusting all the way through. You know, it was disgusting that somebody should be doing that, but it was disgusting that we were running stories on it and, um, you know, we were just encouraging other people to go out and do it. So that was in March of 2008, flash forward to September. Okay. This is when UVic starts publicly addressing the problem. They don't say they're going to make a task force anymore. Now they're releasing a public awareness campaign. Hmm. And As if the, the rabbits weren't. We weren't aware enough. <laughs> I know, right? They're just like, hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but we've got a lot of rabbits. <laughs> so the press release states that like the rabbits are causing a lot of issues. They're stating that they're burrowing into sports fields. They've injured athletes. I remember hearing about that. That, that, that was one of the big instigators to mm. doing something because it injured like a varsity athlete or something. Yeah, a rugby player. The rabbits had literally undermined some of the buildings. So there were just so many of them. This is not your ordinary rabbit hole. There were sort of big, almost caves under some of the buildings. As I said, they were trying to change people's view of how to deal with this. And even trying to count the rabbits was impossible. And of course, one of the problems was anybody who was trying to get rid of their pet rabbit thought, hey, oh, God, there's lots more up there. We might as well go and drop them there. Basically, what they're trying to say is just stop thinking of these rabbits as like playful things. So in the public awareness statement, they're saying stop feeding the rabbits, stop talking to the rabbits, and don't even look at the rabbits. Like, just pretend they're not there. And I want to show you a video of what feeding the rabbits looks like. I love this song, by the way. I've used it in many videos. Wow, okay, so there's a girl, she's sitting on the ground, and she's just got a bag, bread, maybe, snacks, carrots, vegetables, and they're, they're just all over her. They're how all many, over her. How many are there, do you like think? Like 15, 20? Oh, my God. Wow, that just looks so cheery. Like, how right? do you say no to that, though? That's like those videos where people just have puppies crawling all over them or kittens, and it's... <laughs> right? Even that is not the greatest scenario because A, the rabbits are being fed everything from hot dogs to popcorn. (laughs) It was not really good rabbit diet, but also all over the grass were just sort of piles of feces. There were rabbit droppings everywhere. And at this point, it's like rabbits are crossing the road. They're causing car accidents. Like cyclists have to swerve out of the way to avoid them. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you didn't consider that. There's like, like... There's like roadkill. Well, bump. <laughs> yeah. So it is a huge thing. And people who only have to see them as an attraction are very pro-rabbit. And the yeah. people who have to deal with them on a day-to-day basis are very anti-rabbit. The public awareness campaign is trying to create this narrative where it's like, while you might just like enjoy them day by day, they're here every day and you should know like there are consequences for them. 
Judith Lavoy. She's just like on this beach. She has to cover all the rabbit stories. Really, for some of the time, I mean, it was just a matter of almost sitting back and going into the office in the morning and wondering what rabbit story was going to happen today. She just states that Uvic believes the rabbits are dangerous and might have diseases and then like more backlash. <laughs> and really, at that point, a lot of it was, you know, I'd be taking phone calls and saying, look, I'm just reporting the news. I don't say that the rabbits are dangerous, really, but I don't quite know what it says about... I'm, Victoria is a community that gets very involved. I wonder whether this would have happened in any other community. So the university is quickly like learning that no matter what they do, people are going to be very pro-rabbit and very anti-rabbit. At first, this had taken them completely by surprise. They weren't expecting this kind of reaction from people. So that was in September of 2008. A year later, UVic is ready to start addressing the problem. They're announcing that they're looking for community assistance in dealing with the rabbits. They are saying that you come to us with your rabbit plan, and if we like it, we'll go through with it. Crowdsourcing, kind of, like. Yeah. (laughs) So they're very, like, it's on you to solve this problem. And if you don't, we'll have to think of other ways of dealing with it. And that's just kind of leading up to the fact that they may have to kill them. Yeah. (laughs) We will only consider lethal means of controlling the rabbits if other reasonable options have been explored and found to be ineffective. Interesting. Use of reasonable is always interesting in press releases. Reasonable amount of force or reasonable something. Rabbit activists start coming out and basically they're applauding the university for like taking such a good and humane approach to the problem. Did you say rabbit activists? Rabbit activists. If you're going to kill a bunch of innocent rabbits, you step in and try and prevent that. So that's what I did. This is Laura Lee Shaw. She's one of the more prominent activists who got involved in the Uvic rabbit saga. She's so passionate about animal rescue. She told me this story about how she heard that a hundred-year-old Nova Scotian lobster named Dee Dee was going to be auctioned off to be cooked. And I was so upset by that story that I stayed up all night phoning Nova Scotia, found out where the lobster was, what could be done, and ultimately got the lobster sprung. And this is Sorrell. My name is Sorrel Fagman. I'm a former journalist and ended up being a rabbit rescuer. Another activist who got involved with the Uvic bunnies. And she actually has a history of saving rabbits. The first rabbit she ever saved was from a couple of homeless kids in Vancouver. The rabbit was on this chain. That probably weighed more than she did. And apparently this rabbit was just covered in pigeon droppings and was so close to being hit by oncoming traffic. So I offered them uh, 40 bucks and took the rabbit. So that's the level of dedication we're looking at. The people that have time to do things in this world. (laughs) So yeah, at this point, Uvic's the good person. Rabbit activists are like, good job, Uvic. We support you. In December, the university announces that they've chosen someone for the community project on how to deal with it. UVic has chosen this organization called Common Ground. And under the agreement, they say that Common Ground is going to test non-lethal approaches. And they have to remove at least 150 rabbits from very specific areas. They have to capture the rabbits alive, remove them from campus sterilize them, and then relocate them to a new home. 
and they have around three months to do this. And this is where we meet the main player of this whole rabbit saga. Ooh. Her name is Susan Vickery. Susan Vickery is part of an organization called EARS, Earth Animal Rights. Hmm. And she's kind of spearheading this operation to safely remove the rabbits from campus. But this requires a lot because it's very expensive to remove rabbits from the campus in a humane way. And the pilot project ends up costing around $18,000. And they are only able to catch 51 rabbits. <laughs> and of those 51 rabbits, only 10 are relocated. They release 40 rabbits back on campus that are sterilized. Why would they release them at that point? Because they didn't have anywhere to put them. Oh, my God. You think it would be so easy to trap rabbits and then find a home for them. Take them somewhere. But the logistics of it is so complicated. The university says it's a failure. The pilot project has failed. And at this point, everyone's like, oh, God. All the rabbit activists are starting to get very nervous because they feel the university is going to start killing rabbits soon. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The trajectory was pretty clear from the start. Yeah. (laughs) Starting with the stew, I mean. Yeah. And uh, in May 2010, UVic starts a lethal cull. Laura Lee. And they call it a cull, but it's killing. So exams are over. So the students aren't there anymore. And the students were one of the main people who didn't want the rabbits to be gone. No. Disgusted. I'm still disgusted with them. And I'm so disappointed that our tax dollars went to pay to kill innocent animals when other solutions were there for them. The killing is done legally. They have permits from the Ministry of Environment. It's through euthanizing. It's not euthanizing, it's killing. Now the activists are starting to show up on campus, Hmm. and they're starting to mess with the traps. One night, they were there. They trapped a baby, a little innocent baby. And this woman, it cries even now. But Kathleen, who was working with our group, she was begging them to let the baby go. And they wouldn't. They killed it. Wow. They were just heartless, heartless people, both the trappers and the university. I blame them entirely for all the misery they brought on those poor animals. Here's Judith. I don't know how to explain why people seem to go completely off their rockers on something like this. The university finally releases a press release saying that UVic has, with a great deal of reluctance, had to move to a limited cull of the rabbits in order to address acute health and safety issues and remove the risk of a catastrophic injury resulting from stepping in rabbit holes for users of the playing field. So right now, the university is just killing rabbits, and the plan is the University of Victoria is in this ring. It's called Ring Road. They're saying that every area outside of Ring Road is going to be designated a rabbit-free zone. On the inside of Ring Road, they're going to create four quadrants called rabbit control zones. And in each rabbit control zone, there will be a population of 50 rabbits. How? Who's telling the rabbits this? And how are you going to keep the rabbits in one quadrant? I mean, rabbits go where rabbits want to go. 
there'll be 50 rabbits in four sectors for a total of 200 rabbits on campus. So if the rabbits, like, move from one area to the other, they get killed. Feels like the beginning of the Hunger Games when all the districts get separated. <laughs> You're like, you can't move districts. At this point, most of the people in Victoria are pretty okay with the rabbits, like, leaving. It's mostly rabbit activists from Victoria and in, like, the greater, like, Vancouver area who are, like, getting really riled up about this. But they start coming over <laughs> to the island. Here's Laura Lee again. So I printed up 5,000 flyers, and volunteers went out to the tourist areas. And if the government sees that they are pissing off the tourists, they'll do something about it. And then the bus drivers started taking handfuls of pamphlets. And when they do their tours through the city and university, they'd actually point out the rabbits and say, these are the rabbits the university plans on killing. And this is where another big player kind of comes into effect. Rosalind Castles is this very experienced, very hands-on animal rescue activist. And she goes straight to the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Oh, my goodness. So she submits an application. And in the application, she's basically saying, listen, like, we can save these rabbits, but I need, like, a bit more time. So the judge grants her a temporary injunction. So for all of August, it's just people scrambling to find ways to get these rabbits off campus. And slowly, the Ministry of Environment approves permits. So the first wave of permits come in and says that 400 rabbits can be relocated to Coombs, B.C., and 1,000 can be relocated to Texas. The Americans have no restriction on the importation of rabbits. You can send as many as you want down there. So starting September... Activists start driving over in minivans, just full of cat carriers. Sorrel again. We discovered that something like 67 rabbits will fit in a Dodge caravan. Oh, yeah. And they just start loading up rabbits. So we were finding different places where we could keep them temporarily. I used to do publicity work for the um, Pacific National Exhibition, the P&E. So I gave my friends there a call. And said, well, what are you doing with um, all that barn space on the off season? <laughs> and can we bring, you know, a couple hundred rabbits over? <laughs> and they stay in these barns for like a while until they finally start being relocated. Laura Lee Shaw takes out a line of credit for like $20,000 in order to pay for like the relocation fees. There were a lot of emotions for anyone yeah. in it. You know, and then... Of course, you get all the personalities in Rescue where some of the people are just totally nuts. <laughs> wow. The heart. I'm really impressed by the heart of people in the story. Yeah. I think it's just that rabbit people are particularly passionate. They have an affinity to the underdog. And in this case, the underdog is a rabbit. And that's kind of the thing, too, is that... Uh. These rabbit activists or just animal rescuers, they care so much about animals. And I think they kind of hate humans. The people that were involved, they all had very strong personalities. I'm trying not to say everybody was a little bit nuts, but everybody was a little bit nuts about the whole thing, I think. Meanwhile, the university is just like really knocking down that number. So when they first started, there was around 1,500 rabbits on campus. By the end of September, 
they've already trapped 347 rabbits. Wow. And by the end of January, 823 rabbits have been caught. And then by March 1st, the campus is rabbit-free. Here's Laura Lee again. It ultimately was, I think, the second largest animal rescue in North America. The new plan, if you bring a rabbit to campus, like, it's going to die. For so long, they were trying what they called the soft approach, and now they're finally realizing that there's no way that any soft approach would work. Because the softest thing in this whole situation are the rabbits themselves. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, there's just all these rabbits kind of in transit. Rabbit diaspora. And then this is kind of where the story gets crazy. They showed up with um, seven or eight cop cars. So they painted my aluminum gate up at the highway bloody red. This is now tipped over the edge into true paranoia. People climbing the fence, they were wearing bulletproof vests and their guns. Do not minimize the power of the rabbit people. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Space for squares. What are you, some kind of a beatnik? You just, uh, just free associating, just typing out a whole novel, just barfing out whatever's in your head? No, you need templates when you create. And Squarespace has got you covered, Kerouac. They have amazing-looking websites. You just plug in your own information, and then the website becomes yours. And you can do all kinds of amazing things. You can do email campaigns. You can collect money. 
You can even collect donations for a cause with Squarespace. They have amazing, powerful analytics, blogging tools. They connect to your social media accounts. Listen, Squarespace is simply the way to get it done when you need a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Check it out, people. Squarespace.com slash CanadaLand. If you remember, Susan Vickery was the woman who kind of orchestrated the whole movement. She was hired by UVic to actually relocate the rabbits through her program called EARS. So Susan Vickery ends up sending 600 rabbits to Coombs. Have you been to Coombs? I've driven through it. Can uh, you describe it? Uh, it's small, on the fringe of, of the highway. It's just like this small, quaint, almost farm town there's goats walking around on roofs. So the rabbits start getting moved to Coombs in September of 2010. And eventually, yeah, there's 600 rabbits in Coombs. So the rabbits are in this facility. and What type of facility? It's actually a parrot refuge. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Which Judith Lavoie actually went to visit. The uh, World Parrot Refuge itself is, is kind of a, a crazy situation because you've got the flying cages, which in fact was just huge buildings for the parrots all around. Some of the sort of garbage and stuff was sort of out behind, so you get deer and I believe bears and everything coming in there. And then in the middle of this, or rather off to one side, you had the new rabbit refuge. And my first thought was, Oh, you know, this is never going to work. And sure enough, when they get there, there's just rabbit escape after rabbit escape. They just dig underneath the fence, and they're gone, and they just start taking over this town. Oh, my God. Which, again, Coombs is a small town. So the rabbits eventually hop their way over to neighboring farm fields. And this one farm, it's run by this woman named Barbara Smith. No, the bunny murderer. The UVic Bunny Murderer. That was my title. Barbara Smith is a retired lawyer. Her and her husband just live on this farm, just kind of enjoying, you know, the golden days. She's into horses, so she's growing hay for her horses. And then Barb Smith is actually out of town. And on the drive back, my husband said on September 27th, you're not going to believe what's going on in our hayfield. And as he picked me up from the airport, we were driving back home. I looked into our field and there was a sea of rabbits. And then next door at Parrot World, there was a sea of rabbits and there was rabbits on the road. And they're just eating her horse's hay. And she's like, this is insane. Where did all these rabbits come from? That day I phoned every ministry. I phoned the regional district. I phoned local government. She's like the perfect person this happened to because she's just unrelenting. She's like, I need answers. Tell me who to talk to. It took me two and a half months to get a copy of the permit. When I actually looked at the permit, Susan Vickery had basically breached every condition. And like the perfect mix, too, of being like affected deeply by this, but also having all the resources and like tenacity to deal with it. It takes a, a certain type of person to put up with all that bullshit. And luckily or unluckily, I had the expertise. So now she's mad at the Ministry of Environment and the Ministry's like gives her someone to call. She calls him and he is a pest control officer and he shows up and he starts shooting the rabbits. That's what a pest control officer would do. 
Yes, that, they were over 95 rabbits in the field. He could not believe what he was seeing out there. It's important to note that it is humane to shoot rabbits if it's 100 meters away from any property hmm. or any, any home. And because it's like a big farm field, he can just shoot the rabbits in the field and it's like totally fine. I don't see UVic bunnies any different than an invasion of rats. To me, it was all the same. He starts shooting rabbits and then the gunshots ring out through like the farm field. And then the people next door heard him, jumped the fence and chased him out of the field. And they're just sprinting through the farm field. They hop the fence and actually chase the guy back into Barbara Smith's house. Rabbit activists that were housing the rabbits that were terrible at housing the rabbits were chasing the guy, killing the rabbits. Okay, wow. This all happens in, what, like in the afternoon? Yeah, it's just an afternoon of Coombs. And then... So he came in and said, I can't do anything. Barbara Smith's like, well, thank you for doing your job. He ends up shooting around 30. And all this time, the Ministry of Environment biologist was here going, oh dear, oh dear. And then word spreads throughout the rabbit activist community. And how do you think they're going to react? Pissed. Rabbit activists, they contact the Ministry of Environment and the BC SPCA and then the RCMP. But there's like nothing they can do. It was all legal. So that goes nowhere. And then... you know that I got reported to the Law Society? They start targeting Barbara Smith's law career. I killed rabbits in a violent and unreasonable fashion, and because of that, conduct brought into disrepute the Law Society. And they have to start launching an investigation on a retired lawyer. Once a lawyer, always a lawyer. I didn't know that. I thought that once I retired, I was just normal. All I could do is say to the girl... Well, what's my punishment? You're going to make me go back into law? And the law society is just like, well, like, there's nothing we can do. So they did their due diligence and studied it all and determined that what I had done was within my rights. But, you know, they warned me. They said, do not minimize the power of the rabbit people. This kind of goes on for a while where Barbara Smith just keeps taking heat and her husband is picking up the phone being like, Yes, this is Barbara Smith's residence. No, I don't care what you have to say about the rabbits. You know that he got a phone call from somebody in Australia telling us what a terrible person I was killing rabbits. Barbara Smith's property also got vandalized. So they painted my aluminum gate up at the, um, up at the highway b- bloody red. Oh, and then they left me a bale of hay with a little note saying, this is from the rabbits. We are sorry we ate your hay. We did not know it was so important to you. We hope this will replace it. We paid for it with our lives. The murdered buddies. Months later, there's now 500 rabbits in Coombs. And the community is so fed up with it. A year later, July 2011, there's a break-in at the Coombs facility. 20 rabbits are stomped to death. Stomped? What? kind of footwear are people wearing that you can stomp around? What? I know. Oh. And then in the morning, Susan Vickery comes out and she just sees these rabbits. She's like, holy crap. What happened? And she's so terrified that this has happened that she doesn't tell anyone. In her mind, it's like, if I come out that there's been a break-in and that 20 rabbits have died... It's going to make me the bad guy because I'm not taking care of them. And everyone is very pissed that she made this call. 
because the RCMP show up a month later and they're like, there's nothing we can do because everything is gone. Everything's gone? Well, like all the evidence, you know, yeah. like a month has gone by. But case has gone cold. It's a cold rabbit case. <laughs> but during the whole month, Susan Vickery is just like, again, like turning her rabbit sanctuary into the Fort Knox of rabbit sanctuaries. She's installing security cameras. Like a month later, RCMP concludes its investigation. No arrests. And now you see this slow shift where people were once mad at Barbara Smith. Now everyone's starting to be like, well, what's Susan Vickery doing to protect it? She's supposed to be saving these rabbits. Instead, there's so much rabbit blood on her hands. And then just over the next many years, there's this paranoia that starts building around the Coombs Sanctuary. There's supposed to be 500 rabbits here, but I only, I only counted 40 today. Where are the other ones? Is she lying about that? Is she hiding rabbits? Is she covering up rabbit deaths? Again, nothing seemed to be terribly organized. But on the other hand, Susan was trying very hard. And, you know, she was working her buns off trying to make it work. Susan Vickery, to be fair, she was not equipped Hmm. to handle, like, this amount of publicity. She was... Or rabbits. Yeah, or rabbits. Who's equipped to deal with this many rabbits? Like, that's just not a thing that you can expect from anybody. There was a lot of pressure because I'm pretty sure this is the most public rabbit relocation in the history of rabbit relocations. At least in British Columbia. To my knowledge. But this kind of paranoia just keeps prompting the rabbit activists to just ask anyone to go investigate they're reaching out to news organizations being like, can you please go investigate the facility? Everything is not as it seems, and I need you to tell me the answers. And so, like, small town newspapers are going, and they're reporting, like, everything is fine here. And, and then the rabbit groups are like, why are the newspapers covering this up now? But then there's another incident at the Coombs facility. Of course. Two rabbits go missing. Just two? Just two. They have that deep records of it that they know exactly when these two. Oh, yeah. Betty and Susan there left. We know exactly which one. <laughs> yeah, they do roll call and they're like, Betty? <laughs> Susan McCree's like, how did they escape? I've been fortifying the sanctuary for the last three years. How did they get out? And then a volunteer shows her how easy it is for a rabbit to actually get out. You move the food bucket and there's a giant hole in the fence that anyone can just grab a rabbit from. Oh. And then this revelation just, like, sparks this thought in Susan Vickery. That explains why so many rabbits have gone missing over all these years. She just realized now. She was really trying to do her best. Uh, but when she started talking about this, and you start thinking, uh-oh, you know, this is now tipped over the edge into true paranoia. So these rabbits go missing, and Susan Vickery is like, it must be an inside job. Of course it is. I've been betrayed by my volunteers. I can trust no one. I only have myself and these rabbits. It's like the mob. And then she says this to the paper. It didn't dawn on me that it was the good-looking rabbits that were going missing. People were like, oh, my God, care for everything, care for every living being. And now they're like, oh, yeah, there's definitely some real ugly butts in there that were. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, all the good looking rabbits have been taken. (laughs) Suddenly, like, everything's clicking, you know. Mm. I just imagine Susan Vickery 
in her house staring at a wall and there's like photos of like handsome rabbits and like pretty rabbits and there's like a big question mark in the middle being like why these rabbits and there's like red yarn attached yeah. to all of them and then she goes like I got it. <laughs> so Susan Vickery's having a really hard time in Coombs. Yeah. Coombs is having a hard time too, I'm sure. This is a classic lose, lose, lose. And so eventually what she does is it comes time for her to renew her permits to keep them in Coombs, and she chooses not to. Whoa. She sends them away to Alberta. What's in Alberta? Another rabbit sanctuary she owns. So she thinks it's just the, it's Coombs is the problem. And Judith Lavoie, the reporter, read me an email she got from Susan, where she's now living in Nova Scotia. I just looked up one of the last emails that she sent me, but she said I took six UVIC rabbits along with me. They required special care, and I didn't want to burden Wally and Doreen with that. They're the couple who run my Alberta sanctuary. I don't know how many UVIC rabbits remain there. Not many, perhaps three or four. I'm the only one who would recognize them apart from the others. So there's not very many left, but... Rabbit legacy is slowly dwindling. Mm -hmm. Unless we talk about the Texas rabbits. The Texas rabbits. So, Laura Leeshaw, as you remember, real estate agent from Vancouver, who refinanced her mortgage to save rabbits. In this economy? In in that economy, in 2010. (laughs) Still not great. She has made a quest out of these rabbits. She could only get export permits. So she has to find somewhere in the U.S. that will take up to a thousand rabbits. Oh my God. That's what her permit says. And in her research, she comes across this book. And this book is called Noah and the Bunnies. It's about a one-legged pigeon who raises a litter of orphaned baby rabbits. And it's a true story. True story. True story. One-legged pigeon. Racing rabbits. And the story is written by a woman named... Georgian. Georgian Lenham. I'm the CEO and founder of a, a sanctuary rescue ranch in East Texas. And the ranch is called Wild Rose Rescue Ranch. For rabbits. Or for any Just animal. for all animals, wow. including rabbits. So, Laura Leisha contacts the woman who wrote the book and is like... I've got a bunch of rabbits, and they need to go somewhere soon, or they will all die. (laughs) Because... Are you going to be the one-legged pigeon here? (laughs) I couldn't believe there were actually, you know, so many at the campus. And she said they were being poisoned, and and then to hear they were stomped on. I mean, that's the most hideous thing I can even imagine. You know, they were looked at as as vermin, as just terrible. Like, if they didn't get the rabbits off campus and move somewhere quickly, they would have to be euthanized. Because this was still in the fall of 2010? Yeah, like the Coombs and Texas events are happening simultaneously. So, George Ann's like, um, We'll help, but we, we cannot, absolutely not afford anything. You know, you'd have to support them. And yeah, we're on a fixed income. There's some kind of agreement reached. So we talked, my husband and I talked and prayed about it and said, okay, we can take up, <laughs> I mean, we've got 46 acres. So we have room, as long as you promise, you know, that they will be spayed and neutered and you, know, you commit to caring for them. And it's kind of a she said, she said situation where George Ann's like, Laura Lee Shaw agreed to pay for all of this forever. And Laura Lee Shaw's like, 
no I didn't, why would I do that? But ultimately, it's agreed that these rabbits will go to Texas. So Laura Lee Shaw starts driving them down, batch by batch, in her Dodge Caravan. We went through, during the worst parts of winter, because we, as I say, we had to keep doing the trips. The mountain passes were being closed from snow. We were having to overnight places we hadn't expected. Worried sick about the bunnies and were they warm enough. But the bunnies did great. Yeah, how long does it take to drive to Texas? A long time. A long time. A long time. And she's just moving them herself. Yeah, she does three trips. Wow. And two of the trips are her, just by herself. Eventually they get there. And then stuff gets pretty out of control again. Obviously. I mean, these are cursed rabbits. So the town of White House, which is in eastern Texas, and a month after the rabbits, like all the rabbits get there in January... The town passes an ordinance. All of a sudden, the city manager walks up and hand-delivers a proposed ordinance that was going to limit everybody to four animals. And George Ann has just acquired 200 UVic rabbits. <laughs> but So wait, I guess all her animals that she had before for rescue, like, would she just have like random ones? They had a lot of dogs and a lot of horses. Hmm. Yeah, they just like collected whatever animal needed rescuing. The city would call us out and say, hey, can you guys go get, there's a farm on the side of the road, or there was a raccoon that had hit by a car, and a vulture. Bob and I would always take off and, you know, help the city every chance we got. You know, they had no problems with us until the news about the rabbits. And she sues the city. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, this ordinance should not apply to me because, A, we're on farmland, and B, you know, we're an animal rescue ranch. And we became a nonprofit 501c3 in 09. So we knew we were perfectly legal. It didn't make any sense. Did the ordinance come out from anything, or was it specifically directed at her? She thinks that it was directed at her. Oh. So, the case. It was dismissed for lack of jurisdiction. And now the ordinance is in effect. They figured they won, and they could come and get any animal in excess of four. They showed up with um, well, several, I forget how many cop cars were here, and people <laughs> climbing the fence. They were wearing um, you know, their gear with the bulletproof vests and their guns. And their, uh, there were probably seven or eight cop cars, at least two, maybe three animal control trucks. The um, cops even told me that even a goldfish counted as a pet. And these ranch owners are just like, what are we going to do? Like, we're stuck here. And so... It was during that time frame that we found the place south of us. It's in a town called um, New Summerfield. They just leave. They find a new ranch. They move to another county with another ranch. And yeah, they just move all their animals there. And live happily ever after? No. Oh, no, of course not. While they're there, they start figuring all this stuff out. I have suspicions of, you know, that they, they say was trying to get the property. And I think the rabbits were just an excuse to step up and say, hey, you know, try to run us off. And then all the stuff starts happening back in White House, where they're from. So the police chief gets charged with assault, which relates to an incident involving the wife of one of his officers. That charge is dismissed, but he still resigns. And then a few months later, 
the city manager also resigns after an investigation into that same incident found that he'd been carrying an open alcohol container on city property. What? <laughs> so all these major players, just throw out of the picture now. So Georgianne and her husband Bob, by the way, they move back to the old ranch. The heat's gone. They laid low for long enough. They could finally move back here. But the ordinance is still in effect. A lawyer approaches them and is like, I've heard your story. I will do this case pro bono. Rabbit activist lawyer. Yeah. And so he brings the case to the correct court and the jury rules in the ranch's favor. And now they're just living day by day on this ranch in eastern Texas and they have a hundred Uvic rabbits left. Still? Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's the story of the Uvic rabbits. What did you learn? I think I just learned that people do crazy things for animals. That's your Canada Land. I hope you like this episode. We're always looking for stories that are just different and are going to surprise you or inform you and come from different parts of this country and expose you to different voices. Uh, it's just what we're doing here. And if you want to support that work, thanks. We need you to. We rely on listeners like you to pay for journalism. And as a supporter, you're going to get a whole whack of stuff, premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and exclusive content. You will get our exclusive supporter newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. More than anything, you will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free for everybody. Come join now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLand.com. This episode comes to us from CFUV. It was originally produced by Andrew Hines in 2019. Additional production and editing for our version from Tristan Capicione, our audio editor and technical producer, and from our news editor, Jonathan Goldsby. Special thanks to associate producer Cassidy villabrin Baracus. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. 